Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news as well as evolving methods of providing service. I'm Mary Vandenack, founder and CEO at Vandenack Weaver Trulson. I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about tax issues, trusts and estates, business succession, exit planning, legal technology, leadership, and well-being. There's always a resistance to change, particularly with attorneys. Attorneys like to look back at what's worked in the past, and that makes a lot of sense. But when you realize that with a good automated drafting system, you can do a better job for your clients, deliver documents on a more timely fashion, in a more consistent and in a more costly manner. If you're not a subscriber to Interactive Legal, I urge you to go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. And you'll be contacted about having a demonstration of Interactive Legal for you, which can be done right over the Internet. Don't have to leave your office. No salesperson will call. We can arrange it at a time inconvenient for you. So please go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. On today's episode, my guest is Sasha Shilcutt. Sasha is a physician. She's a tenured and endowed professor and the vice chair of strategy in the Department of Anesthesiology at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. She is also the CEO and founder of Brave Enough. She's a well-published researcher in cardiac anesthesiology and gender equity. She's an author and an international speaker. Sasha's greatest passion is empowering and encouraging others to achieve well-being in their professional and personal lives. She speaks frequently to executives and leaders on the topics of professional resilience and gender equity. Her TEDx talk, titled Resilience, The Art of Failing Forward, has been viewed by thousands. Her writing has been published in both the New England Journal of Medicine and JAMA. She leads conferences and retreats for professional women through her organization, And I see you have about three of those coming up. I think I looked at the website last night, so that looks like a lot of fun. Her first book, Between Grit and Grace, How to Be Feminine and Formidable, has sold thousands of copies. Her second book, Brave Boundaries, will be released in the fall of 2022. I asked Sasha to participate in this episode to discuss the concept she has written about in her book, Brave Boundaries. It's a topic that's really close to my own heart, having experienced some of the same challenges, So thanks for joining me today. 
Well, thank you for having me, Mary. Uh, you are such a powerhouse and someone that I know has navigated the professional world as a woman leader for a number of years and someone that I look up to. So I'm honored to be here today. Well, thank you, Sasha. So to start off, can you just give a little background on what motivated you to start Brave Enough? As I understand it, part of that was about setting your own brave boundaries. That's that's right. So, you know, I had a very traditional career, I would say, an upbringing in the medical profession. I went into medicine right out of high school, I uh, was pre-med, went to college, went to medical school, did my residency fellowship, and probably about seven to eight years into practicing medicine, I started experiencing heightened awareness of gender inequity and that I was someone who was working in a male-dominated environment. And that was leading me to overextend myself, overcommit myself to achieve and to really stand out and to be taken seriously as a physician. And I experienced in 2013 a severe professional burnout to the point where I was really looking every day for a way out of medicine, this field that I had studied for a decade and a half and had trained and spent thousands of dollars on at my education and hours, I, I wanted to quit. Um, and I didn't really understand all of the elements that were leading to my burnout, but I knew that I, I was not in a healthy place. So I took 2013 and rebuilt who I was as a human being very slowly uh, by spending a little time by myself every day, um, going through some exercises of time management and learning how to stop setting uh, unrealistic expectations for myself. And at the end of that year, I found a joy in medicine again. I had much better work-life uh, control and balance of my life. I said no to a lot of things that were burning me out, but I was very lonely. And I realized that, gosh, I don't remember the last time I had dinner with a friend or I have any female friends. I mean, I have colleagues, but I don't actually have like female friendships. So I started a small text group that uh, just reached out to nine women I know and said, hey, do you want to be part of a text group? And that text group where we encouraged each other for several months grew to become a Facebook group that had thousands of women doctors in it. And at that point, I realized like what my messages, I was blogging, kind of microblogging at that point were really reaching women in medicine and extending those messages out to women outside of medicine was what I wanted to do. And that's where I started my company brave enough, because I think honestly, as women in whatever area that we work in, whether it's law or education or medicine, just showing up as ourself is actually the most brave thing we have to do every day. Like showing up fully as who we are, because most of us work in society that is very patriarchal and we have to navigate landmines even unconsciously um, and let a part of us go. And so I started my company Brave Enough and now I lead conferences for women and I teach women and I lead a curriculum for women and I just wrote a new book, Brave Boundaries, which is all about how to set boundaries with your time. And before I even realized that you had written that book, I, you know, I follow you on social media and I just love what you post. 
And it was something I said about boundaries, and I really appreciate how you establish these things about boundaries. But what I was kind of curious about when you go through that list, because you know, I have a, I'm a pretty high-energy person who does a lot, but I look at you practicing as a physician, being a mom, a spouse, and then starting this organization. What type of work do you have to do to set boundaries so that you can do all of that? Because that takes some real serious boundary setting. I love this question because you you hit the, the most important point of the book, and that is the biggest boundaries you have to set are with yourself. So, you know, I, I use an example of this all the time when I'm coaching women is, you know, say, Mary, you a work colleague calls you at eight o'clock on a Tuesday night and you're at home watching television, maybe having a glass of wine, and you're like, oh, Bill's calling me, probably has a question. So you answer the answer the phone call and it's not emergent, but you're not doing anything. So you help Bill for 15 minutes. But then fast forward two weeks, maybe you have a big dinner that you're throwing that night for a friend, a birthday party, and you're rushing out the door and it's six, seven o'clock at night and a different work colleague calls you and you're like instantly annoyed, right? Because this person's calling you and they're interrupting your time. And you're like, why don't they, why are they calling me with this non-essential issue at night? And now I have to stop what I'm doing and answer the phone. I'm going to be late for this, or now I can't pick up the flowers or whatever you're doing. And you're frustrated that someone has crossed a boundary, but the problem is not with the person calling you. The problem is with you. You have not set a boundary with yourself that you are going to not answer work calls at night. And we expect other people to know our boundaries, but we don't communicate them or we break a boundary this night. And then we don't have, we want someone to respect our boundary the next night. And we don't actually understand that the boundary has to be with us. So this would happen to me all the time. And I would constantly be frustrated. And then I realized I have to set a boundary. I have to set a boundary that, and boundaries are specific for every person. But one of the boundaries that I've had to set is I don't answer emails at night and on the weekends. It's the hardest boundary that I set for myself, but the most important, because the truth of the matter is that there are times where I don't mind answering emails. And there are times where it stresses me out to answer emails. And if I set up the expectation to my team that I, Sasha answer, answers emails at two in the morning if she's on bypass or she answers emails at 10 o'clock at night, they're going to have that expectation. So I've had to educate myself and go, okay, Sash, you can't answer emails at night and on the weekends. You have to set really strict boundaries. These are the three days a week that you're going to answer emails. And you have to communicate that to your team. So they have the expectation and the knowledge of your boundary and they can respect it. And so honestly, the biggest thing that I think we as people, as humans, as women, especially have to understand is that you have to set boundaries with yourself and the work that you're going to do and the energy you're going to put into things. It starts internally. It starts with us. And it's the most important boundary that you can set. And I talk about that in a chapter of the book, how to really set those boundaries for you. So it's being clear about your own boundaries. You set them. You communicate them so others are aware of them. And then you have to hold yourself accountable for those boundaries. So one of the other things you talk about is the time management. And I'm going to just tell you that I've done a lot of, you know, speaking about time management and hadn't really connected time management and boundaries until I read something that you wrote about that. So I was hoping you would just share a little bit about your thoughts on how time management, and I think you just described it a little bit, that, hey, I don't answer emails in these spaces, 
But how do you carve out time then so that you can, because I could start like answering email and be 12 hours later still answering them. So do you limit time on that and other, or how do you manage that? What are your key time management skills? Yeah. So this is a very important lesson. And I love that you lecture on this because I think it's something that we, we aren't taught in professional training, how to manage our time. And it leads to people leaving our workplaces and and just quitting, right? Like people are quitting law, they're quitting medicine, they're quitting business because they're overwhelmed. And I think time management is so honestly tied to your personal boundaries. So one of the things that I've done is I'm the same way. I could spend hours in email if I wanted to. And what I have done is now I batch my email. So I have three times a week that I answer email and I literally set my clock. So instead of saying, I'm going to answer all my inbox today, or I'm going to answer email. I say, I'm going to answer email for one and a half hours. I'm spending one and a half hours on Monday, Wednesday, Friday on email. That's it. And what has happened is once you start communicating that to people, two things happen. People stop emailing you stupid things. (laughs) Okay. They stop emailing you non-essential questions or comments or whatever. The second thing that happens is you, by the time you get to that email, uh, someone already answered the problem. And 90% of the time, your input isn't really needed anymore. So the emails become less and less and less and more significant, which is the filter you want in your email, right? Because everyone knows like, you can send that to Sasha, but she's not going to answer it till Wednesday or Friday. So if it's something emergent, call her or text her, but don't send it to her in an email, figure it out yourself. So you empower others on your team. And you also, and this is the key, when you start setting boundaries as a leader, what you do is you let other people set boundaries. You say, it's okay to set boundaries. My team actually has the had the best feedback because they're like, we love that you are setting these boundaries because you're empowering us to set boundaries. You're saying it's okay for us to go on vacation and not respond to email. We love that about you as a boss and a leader. And so it really honestly helps me to set my phone. And then at an hour and a half, I just turn it off. Instead of being like caught in the email time suck of 12 hours, I go, well, I spent an hour and a half. I'm done. Now I got to move on to writing or whatever the next thing is on my task list. Because how many times do you sit down And you're like, oh my gosh, I have 10 hours today. I'm going to get so much done. And you never get out of your inbox. And so, you know, Microsoft has this new feature where it sends you little notifications about how much time you spent collaborating. And so I got one of those messages this morning that I have had zero time where I wasn't involved with my email. I'm like, oh, good reminder. So I'm really grateful for the reminders like that. But the other one I run into, Sasha, is the multiple forms of communications people will use today. Mm. So you get somebody sends you an email and then you didn't respond. And then, so they send you a text, say, I sent you an email. Will you please check your email? And then they leave you a voicemail. And then, you know, there's some of these groups that I'm involved with that will start their own, you know, group on Slack or something. And then I won't get the messages because I don't have time to log in. And then we'll turn on your notifications. I'm like, I have all my notifications turned off, right? How do you deal with uh, just multiple forms of communication? Yeah. So I think that's a really important aspect of what is burning people out in our, in 2022 is the, some, I read something about at the, like six months into the pandemic, something like 
the amount of email and text and communication that is coming to us was up like 600%. So we are in an information overload situation and people have such unreal unrealistic expectations of us now. And so I always say that boundaries allow us to be approachable, but not accessible. Like I want to be a person that's approachable. You want to be a person that's approachable. But we have this falsehood that our phone makes us 24. We're, we're always should be accessible as women and as professionals. That's just hogwash. That's so unhealthy to be constantly accessible. So one of the things that I do now, if somebody asks me to participate in something or someone asks me to do something before, I would like think about it for a while before I'd commit. And now I just go instantly. I have an instant like response that I have texted in my mess, my notes and I literally copy and paste it in the response. And I say, this sounds really awesome and something I would be interested in. What is the time commitment and what is the communication and what is the expectation for communication? If it's a Facebook group, I'm out. I I don't participate in Facebook groups personally anymore. I don't participate in any instant messaging on any social media. If you try to reach me on social media, you will not hear from me because I don't do it. And I'm super clear about that. And I have messages in there that say, I don't answer DMs. If you want to get a hold of me, email. So I stick to email. Um, it's it's something I can filter because I can say I'm going to filter it in these three boxes three days a week, and nobody dies over email. Like there is no no one is going to die because you didn't answer an email. <laughs> like, so to me, it's not an emergency. I mean, I'm a I'm a physician. I'm a cardiac anesthesiologist. Like an emergency is like someone's bleeding to death. So you know, we have to stop this expectation that we should always be accessible. I don't want people to think that I am always accessible. So another thing that I've done to set a boundary is if someone texts me, I don't respond right away. Um, I just say, if it's at night or on the weekend that I'm not on call, and I will say an hour later, and I've had to make myself do this. Like I've had to force myself to do this. I got your message. I'll respond when I'm back in the office. Because 90% of the time someone's venting, I don't need to be the emotional caretaker of everyone on my team nights and weekends. Um, the second thing is someone has a problem that they could actually solve. They're just trying, they, they just haven't given themselves the, the moment to solve it. And I'm setting a boundary that, you know, I am off at work. Like I am not always available 24 seven. We have to stop this perpetuation of this myth that being a good whatever, good lawyer, good doctor, good friend, good sister, good mother is I'm available 24-7 to you. It's such an unhealthy mindset and it's such an unhealthy expectation. So again, it starts with you. It starts, the boundary starts with you. And that's what I talk about in the book. We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors. Financial advice is useless without empathy. At Foster Group, we want to hear your story, your goals, your worries about the future. Only then can we help you feel confident about all aspects of your financial life. Come experience how it feels to be truly cared for at Foster Group. Connect with us at fostergrp.com. Foster Group's written disclosure brochure, as set forth in Part 2A of Form ADV, discusses advisory services and fees, is available at www.fostergrp.com. 
Okay, let's continue our episode. There's another statement, and I don't remember where I read or saw it that you made, but I'm going to just admit that I've borrowed this statement and repeated it on a regular basis, and that is that the word no is a full sentence. Mm. Can you clarify what you mean by that? (laughs) So I don't know if you've ever done this, but especially early in my career, I found myself saying, no, I'm sorry. I can't do that because... And sometimes, to be honest, I would like try to make something up because I felt like just saying no was letting someone down. And then I, so I would say, no, I'm sorry. I can't do that. I have a sick child or no, I can't do that. I'm sorry. I, I have this other thing to do when in fact, no is a complete sentence. If it's something that is not on your job description or it is something you are not paid to do or it is something that is not life-saving, so it's just extra task, extra work or something that someone's asking you to do out of favor, no is a complete sentence. You do not need to explain yourself because the minute you say you're, I'm sorry, you, you put yourself in a lower position. So someone's asking you for a favor and you are saying, no, I'm sorry. What you're saying is no. I'm failing. No, I'm letting you down. No, I, I, the expectation is that I should be able to do that. And so instead I say, no, but thank you for asking. I appreciate that you would entrust me to do that. It doesn't fit with my goals this year, period. Or no, I'm, I don't have the bandwidth for that, but thank you for asking. Here's someone who may be able to speak at that event or may be able to do that for you. So I try to insert someone else if I think it's a great opportunity that I just don't have time for. Um, or I'll say, no, I, I, that does not interest me, period. No, like you have the right as a woman, as a human to say, I don't have the ability to do that or I don't want to do that. It doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. And so I think part of the reason I really love that is there was a time that I was at an event and I reached over to pick, grab something in front of a, another woman, and I said, I'm sorry. And she said, why would you be sorry? She goes, you're, like, totally appropriate. Like, she goes, women, she said, women always are saying I'm sorry just the way you've described it. And so that's kind of my next question is you talk about boundaries as a gender equity issue. Can you provide some thoughts on that? Yes. Well, I think all of us have a need for boundaries. I'm not saying that men don't get uh, taken advantage of or overworked or that they're not also burning out. They are, and they need boundaries um, themselves. Women, we know, and I've actually published research on this, that women are assigned in the in their in their workplaces something called citizenship tasks more often than men and expected to do them. And citizenship tasks are tasks that are required to keep the machine running forward. Um, but they're not paid and they're just done out of goodwill and women are asked to do them more than men. So this may be taking notes at a meeting. This may be organizing a social activity. Um, This may be, you know, organizing, uh, booking the conference room. Um, Women are just given those tasks and they're asked to do that more than men. And so what happens is uh, when I coach women, and this is why I wrote the book, because I started doing all this research and coaching women, and they would say, I'm really burned out. I don't know if I can be a neurosurgeon anymore. And I would say, well, you're a really good neurosurgeon. Let's work to figure out how we can keep you in, in doing neurosurgery 
and keep you happy. And they would give me the list of things they are doing. And I would say, what are you getting paid for? And their paid for list would be about four bullets. And their unpaid work would be about 25 bullets. And I would say, well, why are you doing this? Well, I'm doing this because my boss asked me to do this, or I'm doing this because no one else is doing this. And so it has to be done. Or I'm doing this because my partner is supposed to be doing this and he or she may be paid to do this, but they're not doing it. So I'm doing it. Or I'm doing this because I really feel bad. And I'm like, okay, stop. <laughs> we have, you have to start setting boundaries around uh, things and stop apologizing that you are not going to do these things anymore. You need to say, thank you for giving me the opportunity to serve on this committee. I'm rotating off at the end of the month, period. Thank you. So replace that, I'm sorry for thank you. And let's minimize this list of unpaid tasks. Such an important gender equity issue because this is what perpetuates the pay gap. It's it, When you are doing work that doesn't get you promoted, or you are doing citizenship tasks out of the realm of service, that doesn't get you promoted. That doesn't get you at tables where you need to be leading. So if you're spending 25% of your work effort or 30% of your work effort on these unpaid tasks, your partner is maybe your men, and we know this, this isn't like something I've made up. It's all in the research. Men are doing things that they get paid to do. So they're at the table more, they're serving in ways that they are, they get more visibility and you are doing things that you, that don't give you visibility, don't get you promotion. And this is what leads to an element, one of the many elements that widens the pay gap. So one of the things you talk about, and I'm going to ask is like, if somebody is newer to setting boundaries, because I think, especially for women, and I agree with you that a lot of men need to work on boundaries too, but there's definitely some support for women. Like this gal saying to me, and I went and did some reading about it afterwards. She goes, oh, we do say I'm sorry for things that like, what does it mean to say I'm sorry? Or what does it mean to say, excuse me, when is it appropriate? Not, that's really important. But so, you know, you got close to the point of burnout. If somebody is you know, recognizing that they're having some challenges with some boundary issues, there's coaching. That's a great strategy. That's what I've done myself. And that's what you've done. Is there anything else? Or is that because I think having that objective person pointing mm -hmm. things out, like what you just said, I think a lot of women, a lot of people wouldn't realize that they had these bullet points with these are the things I'm getting paid for. And oh, wow, look at this ridiculous list of things I'm not getting paid for. Yes. So the the what I talk about in the book is at the end of every chapter, I have a little boundary check-in. And one of the chapters is to take a boundary inventory. And I always encourage people, this is what I do when I coach women, is to start with your biggest pain point in life. And we all have pain points, right? We all have projects, or maybe it's a person, or maybe it's an internal uh, narrative that we're struggling with that is really causing us the most amount of stress. And we tend to avoid dealing with it or thinking about it. This is what makes us just want to watch Netflix and drink wine at night, right? I guarantee you that whatever your biggest pain point in life is, sometimes it's a person, sometimes it's a place, sometimes it's a project, uh, you, you lack boundaries. If you think about what it is, you lack boundaries around it. And you probably lack boundaries, not because you are, have never, maybe you've never thought about it that way, but you're probably, there's fear. Typically there's 
fear around setting a boundary. And you can't actually think about how you would set a boundary around this pain point. It's too overwhelming or it's too impossible where you can't conceptualize it. So I always say, you know, let's do role play. And one of the things I know as a lawyer, you, you all know this very well. Um, one of the things I've actually learned from all of you is when I'm really afraid to set a boundary, I just role play it in my mind. So it's kind of like when you walk into a desk, you know, a, a, a deposition, somebody, a lawyer told me like once, okay, we're going to prepare for this. And I'm going to ask you like the worst things. And it's going to really stress you out so that when we go in there, you've already thought of it through. That's what I do to and tell women to do and tell people to do that. I coach when they're thinking about this boundary. Okay. So you're really afraid to set this boundary around this person or tell your boss, whatever, that you're not going to do this job anymore without pay. Uh, what do you, what would it feel like to say that? Well, I would feel terrible. I, he or she may yell at me here. May she may fire me. Blah, blah. Okay. Well, let's talk through that because 90% of the time it doesn't happen. People are like, oh, okay. And they may be a little surprised that you're setting a boundary with them, but they're not going to react the way that you think. And they're going to forget about it in 30 minutes and go on to the next part of their day because people if we really understood how little people think about us and spend time thinking about us, we, we would be shocked. So it's so important for us to kind of just start with the pain point. And that's where I typically tell people to start. And in the book, I lead you through kind of a, a, a strategy on how to do that. One of the other concepts you talk about that I really love is being the authentic self. How does authentic self and boundaries connect together? So closely. And the biggest way that I can describe it is if you, I think most of us reach different points in our life where we may feel an internal conflict and we feel like it may come across as anger. Men typically show more anger when they're burned out and they're not living their authentic self, women, we withdraw and we become very withdrawn and just emotionally unavailable. Uh, men tend to project that more. And what, it, what the difference is, is when we come to this point, different times of our life where we feel very uh, burned out, low self-esteem, exhausted, or just stuck, we there is a disconnect between our authentic self and the, our priorities that we're currently living. So you may have priorities that are, I, my, my, I really want to travel this year, or I really want to be with my family this year and do X, Y, and Z, or I really want to write a book or whatever your priorities are. And then there's your calendar and the life you're living. And the disconnect between your authentic self, which is when your prior, what your true priorities are that you may have deep inside you that you have never even written on a piece of paper. The difference between living your authentic self and your daily calendar, which may or may not reflect your actual authentic self and priorities are boundaries. So I do this exercise every January where I literally list out like what, it's not really a like uh, resolutions, but it's what I hope to accomplish this year or what I hope my life reflects. And I limit it to about three or four things. And then I look at my calendar and I go, hmm, 
So one of the things on my list is I want to have three family vacations this year, but I have 13 speaking engagements and it's January. Those things are incompatible. So I have to level up and figure out how I'm going to cancel these. And now, thankfully, I've done this enough that I don't accept a bunch of speaking engagements because traveling with my family is super important to me. So when you do this, when you do this analysis between what you say and you think and you feel your priorities are and what your calendar reflects, it's mind blowing because you realize like, I'm not living who my, I really want to be and who, what my priorities really do want to reflect. I'd say one of the best exercises I ever did with a coach was that they sat down and had me list those three or four things that really Mm -hmm. mattered. And we put those in the calendar first and then figured out what else you could do around those things. And that was just really life-changing for me because it was like when you really prioritize and fill up the calendar, you start to realize how much, how little time there is to do everything and anything. So... One of the things you've also done an amazing job of is bringing women together in a sincere way, which that's not an easy task. And as somebody who's observed that and says, wow, if we could just do a little more of that and pass that on. So if you were to say, how could you encourage other women to pass that on and provide support to other women in avoiding burnout, setting healthy boundaries? You know, it's, it's definitely the hardest thing I've, I've learned to do, and uh, I'm still learning to do it. I don't have it perfectly figured out. It sounds really great to say, we're going to bring women together and we're all going to support each other. But the truth is that we live in a very male-dominated world. And for years and years, there's only been a few spots at the top. And there still are. There still are only a few spots at the top that are filled by women. And that has a repercussion. It has a repercussion that we see that unconsciously. We all are biased and we see that and go, oh gosh, you know, Janie is here and I'm here and there's only one spot for us. So I got to compete with Janie and I don't want Janie to shine. And if her light's shining bright, then my, that dims my light. It's just the fact of, of our society. And even when we don't want to do it, we all do it. And so I would say the most the most blessings that have come from my company has been bringing women together because women, when you get women in a room together, a lot of that dissipates and the energy and the synergy is phenomenal. It's when we leave one another (laughs) that the, the, and, and we start like getting insecure, right. When we lose that connection that we start going, I got to compete with her or I'm jealous of her or that, that, Or, you know, I just walked by Mary at Starbucks and she didn't even acknowledge me. She must not like me. You know, that's when we start creating all these narratives. So it's been the biggest blessing and also the biggest struggle is to make sure that I am always um, trying the best I can to promote other women. I don't do it perfectly, but I can tell you what I have learned is that the one of the rules that I have set for myself about five years ago, and I have stuck to this, is... I don't um, publicly speak ill of other women. I don't put negative feedback to women in writing. And I don't talk badly about other women. So, you know, I've been hurt by other women. 
there's been women that I've looked up to and then I've met them in real life. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they, that's not how I thought that interaction would go. I have learned that even if that happens to me, it doesn't help women as a collective. If I run off and tell somebody else that, or if I perpetuate that, I just let it go. And, you know, also being an influencer and being on social media, a lot of times people, I've even been called by the news and said, can you weigh in on this woman, what she said? And I'm always like, nope, I'm out. Because even if I disagree with what a woman says, I am not going to throw her under the bus and I'm not going to speak ill of that. Even if I'm at a committee meeting and a woman is saying something I don't agree with, you know, I will off site say, Hey, I didn't agree with this. Can we talk about this? I, because when you attack another woman publicly or when you speak ill or email something, people are waiting for women to do that. Everybody goes, Oh, here they go. Another cat fight. And it just perpetuates this thing of women don't support other women. So it's a rule that I try really hard to stick by. It's a rule that I, I believe in. And I just always get, try to show grace because I am sure that Sasha Shulkut has done something, offended somebody, said something that has, that I have missed, have a blind spot about. And I would want that woman to approach me with that same grace. I'm hoping I didn't walk by you in Starbucks and not <laughs> I, I know I've done it because I get, not maybe with you, but somebody else. But, you know, clear back in high school, I had this principal who said to me that one of the challenges for women is that men set aside their differences and agree to vote somebody in, whereas women tend to hold a grudge against something that happened in the past and vote against another woman. Mm. And so that's where, as I've watched you, and what I wrote down was that whole concept of show grace but what I've just really watched as you bring women together is developing some true support. And I think the more that mm-hmm. women experience that, the more that that can grow. So mm-hmm. one of the things is where can listeners connect with you and get a set of, get a copy of Brave Boundaries? So you can buy Brave Boundaries wherever you buy your books at your local bookstore, Amazon, Target, uh, Barnes and Noble online. And uh, you can connect with me. I'm on all social forms. I'm on Twitter at Are You Brave Enough and Facebook and Instagram at uh, Become Brave Enough. And my website is becomebraveenough.com. And I have a Friday newsletter that you can sign up to receive. And I did notice that the conferences are now open beyond kind of all physicians at first, but you are reaching out to other professionals. I have to say, I've always been, I've been watching what you do in the physician community and I've wanted to see that in law. So I'm hoping to encourage some of the legal friends to show up at this conference. Absolutely. I would love to see them there. So any last thoughts today, Sasha? You know, just I would encourage everyone to give yourself grace and give yourself permission to set brave boundaries. It's you deserve them. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. As we reach the end of our episode, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and Foster Group. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases.
Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have. A Huda Media Production.